Welcome to Australian Hunger, I am your host Ben. On this week's show I've got an interview with Shallow Grave, New Zealand band. Um, in a lot of ways similar to Sumeru, who I interviewed a couple of weeks back. They started off really a, a sludgy stoner doom, focusing on those big bass heavy riffs, that, that particular type of heaviness. But it seems, you know, like a lot of bands, they became a little bit dissatisfied with the saturation in that particular scene they were involved in, and slowly decided to experiment. Really, really interesting stuff. I really enjoyed the record, and I really enjoyed talking to um, Michael about it. But um, that and a little bit. Before I get there, <laughs> one of my one of my favourite types of things where normally scientists try to break down heavy metal culture and music. Um, so the Scientific American did a really nice breakdown of an article that was published, Who Enjoys Listening to Violent Music and Why? Um, published earlier this year in Psychology of Popular Media Culture by Ford Thomas of Australia's own Macquarie University. Um, it, it was a small study, so you know, with all these small studies you have to kind of take it with a grain of scepticism. Um, 48 self-described death metal fans and 97 non-fans, who are all in their 20s, filled out um, some personality surveys. Um, So self-reporting, obviously, another thing that can kind of be an issue. It was pointed out in the article as well. But um, basically his conclusions are that that there are positive emotions associated with death metal fans listening to their type of music, feelings of empowerment, joy, peace and transcendence, and all the anger and tension that, you know, people sort of normally associate with that kind of music and sort of believe the fans experience when they're listening to the music incorrectly, um, I think as most sort of death metal fans would really relate to, um, that, that that anger and frustration was experienced by non-fans. Not not particularly interesting findings. I think it's sort of basic stuff that everyone kind of knows about the music they're interested in. And as well, you know, just statements about the fact that there's no real link between a one-to-one causal relationship between violent forms of media and violent actions. What was a little bit more interesting was that some of the... So they filled out personality surveys. So you've got the the personality surveys filled out for people who were death metal fans and non-death metal fans. You can compare them irrelevant of their reactions to particular forms of music. And on measures of conscientiousness and agreeableness, the scores of death metal fans were subtly but reliably lower than that of non-fans. Interesting ideas, like, are we as heavy metal fans, and maybe death metal fans more specifically, are we in some way different of personality? I think that was probably almost definitely true. I think, you know, the the kind of... People who are attracted to outsider forms of music are definitely going to have, I don't want to say this delicately, you know, personalities which are of an outsider nature, obviously. But it may go some ways to maybe draw an actual underlying basis for the beliefs in the lack of sociability among heavy metal fans and I think we've all sort of experienced that maybe there's a grain of truth there. There was also a dimension of empathy that the one of the index studied uh, one of the index measured, and it seems that when listening death metal, um, when listening death metal, study participants with lower empathy scores were more likely to experience high levels of power and joy, which I don't know if it reflects particularly well on death metal fans. But anyway, but one of the more interesting things is sort of the broader question of why and biologically how do people enjoy these negative forms of music both negative in terms of its themes as well as you know the the actual musical construction because the music does have a harsh aggressive tone as well as particular you know chord progressions which are negative they're intended to be negative very interesting idea and it seems that one of the theories that because it's a form of entertainment there's psychological in distancing or embracing so the fact that it's free from real world consequences and this is um drawn from uh, a paper from the max planck institute of empirical aesthetics uh, it, it may provide this that distance necessary for us to sort of appreciate it on an artistic level so the fact that it's art means that the idea of negativity doesn't quite come into it in the same way. A really interesting idea, and I think kind of... I would really like that idea to be explored a bit more, because I think some of us sort of take for granted the fact that 
enjoying this kind of music which is so arbitrary and alien in a lot of ways in its sort of modern approach uh, I think that, that that is really 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 interesting finally um, one other uh, study which was discussed in the article was a, a June paper um, in the journal Musical Perception about the intelligibility of death metal lyrics and that may be one of the key features which draws fans in basically because it is so intelligible and excludes a lot of people because they just can't get into it for that reason means that you know we're into it because like we just like to be sort of pretentious and these are my words pretentious people who enjoy obscure things The, the extent to which any of these things are generally true is definitely debatable but i think taking them in isolation with certain people absolutely <laughs> sort of hitting on key aspects of heavy metal culture i always do appreciate when the normies at least pay us a little bit of respect you know we don't get much but you know a little bit is appreciated a little bit is appreciated to the interview i talked to michael rothwell who's the guitarist of the new zealand uh sort of sludgy band shallow grave um their album threshold between worlds which is out now really really cool conversation um i think in a lot of ways there are parallels between new zealand and the australian music scene you know i think generally australia and new zealand share a lot in common maybe perhaps temperamentally maybe it's just uh, being down here in this particular part of the world but I one of the what I think is the key char- characteristics of our scene is being sort of small, having sort of difficulty integrating with the wider world just because of that distance. But despite all that, producing really incredible bands which punch above our weight in terms of the the population of the, our countries as well as our geographic location, which sort of which prevents us being, from being spatially located to other countries where maybe there could be cross-pollination between scenes and all that. The songs playing through the middle of the interview is The Threshold Between Worlds, and at the end, The Horrendous Abyss. This is Michael Rothwell of Shallow Grave. Now let's go back to the beginning. How did the band start? So we started probably about almost 10 years ago now, actually. Um, and it was basically just um, me and my friend Tim, who's the vocalist and guitarist, um, just mucking around. I think we probably had a, a, you know, a big night on the piss and um, listening to some you know, electric wizard and Eurosis, and we just thought it would be really cool to do a band in this kind of style. Um, previously we'd sort of been more into um, the death metal scene I guess like doing more fast paced sort of stuff but I think the um, the idea of slowing stuff right down and working with all that extra space was really appealing and um, and then we recruited uh, James Backer on drums um, who was friends with Tim and then we eventually got uh, Brent on bass who um, sort of brought a whole new sort of aspect to it as well so yeah, we um, that was probably about ten years ago. We started playing shows. Um, we released an album, the debut album, probably two thousand thirteen, I think, a while ago now, um, which did pretty well. And, and then we just, I mean, we tend to move pretty slow, uh, um, so we kind of only just got it round to sort of finally releasing the second album uh, this year. So yeah, that pretty much brings us up to speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's interesting because the name Shallow Grave is very much a death metal band name. H- how did you guys come up with it? Yeah, um, I think uh, from memory, I think um, either Tim or James, like you know, when you're kind of like looking for a band name and you're just always thinking about what could work, and then sometimes you just might see something in in the environment around you, and it just like it just clicks that that's that's it. And I think they saw it on like the back of a skateboard or something. And it was shallow grave, and like that pretty much perfectly sums up what we want to sound like, what the aesthetic is. Um, yeah, you know, kind of, you know, at the time it was just it just seemed to fit really well. And you know, there's probably other bands called Shallow Grave, but I guess we just didn't really care at that point, and still don't, to be honest. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. I mean, it can be hard to find an original band name that you know, especially in the heavy music scene, it's been going for what. Since the the seventies, it's a little bit difficult yeah, since all good names are taken. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. So, 
coming from a kind of death metal background, what was it about? So two part question. And I yep. don't usually like to ask two part questions, but I think I think they'll go well together. Um, what was it about the death metal that maybe wasn't appealing to you as much, and what was it about the slower music doom metal that was appealing to you and made you want to start playing that kind of style? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Um, I think at the time, like this is probably like maybe the mid two thousands. Um, personally, like well, both of us um, just thought that. I don't know, death metal was kind of in a bit of a lull. Like, there was all these bands coming out with sort of twiddly, um, it was very technical, like sort of twiddly sweep solos and really clean sounding. Um, there wasn't that much creativity sort of going on at the time. Um, and, it, I mean, people probably love that sort of stuff, but it just wasn't for us. We were, I guess we were kind of more fans of the more old school stuff like incantation and morbid angel and immolation all that kind of really dense kind of dark stuff um so there was just nothing really coming out that was really grabbing us and um so but at at the same time there were all these really killer sort of more slow-paced albums that were coming out like so it's electric wizards we live and witch cult today and some those are sort of neurosis ones um you know, like all these really cool sort of sludgy, doomy albums were coming out, and that just seemed to be more appealing. And also it was kind of a, I guess it was a challenge for us in a way because, you know, you're used to sort of playing at a million miles an hour, and then you suddenly have all this space to work with where, like, every note kind of means something, I guess. Like, every note's important, whereas in in sort of the hyper-technical death metal, it's like, yeah, you, you you know, it often felt like you could just, well, like, lots of bands were just stringing riffs together that sort of, they weren't really thinking about it at a really deep level. Um, so, yeah, that, and that just kind of like, I guess that flows into your second question and that that's what we sort of found appealing about that style and it kind of challenged us to work in a new way. And also kind of at that time, I was listening to a lot of, like, alternative stuff, I guess, like... Um, like My Bloody Valentine, Sonic Youth and all this kind of stuff, and it kind of brought in that uh, sort of really sonic sort of element to it, like, um, you know, bringing in the sort of noise element, experimental stuff, which kind of helped fill out the sound, I think, a bit. So having that that space, how do you approach that space? Like, are you trying to fill it? Are you trying to... I don't know, maybe this question's kind of rambling and going nowhere, but, like... What are, you, yeah. what are you trying to do with that space now that you have it? I think it's um, it totally depends on the song. Like um, I don't know if like um, in the you know there are parts where you just want to have it really minimal and let each note just have maximum space to breathe, and then there are other times when you might want to fill it. I mean, it's never going to be super like um, you know like noty, I guess, like super riffy, but it's kind of like you just want it to like other times you just want it to be really dense and thick and have like all these layers like of sound and, and fuzz and everything on top of it. Just, you know, like kind of approaching it from a more sonic kind of angle, like almost like textural sort of stuff, which I think like a band like Neurosis, for instance, does sort of really well. Um, but yeah, um, I think that, yeah. So it totally depends on the song, like how the song's written. Like there are parts in some of our songs, which, very minimal indeed. There are other parts that are you know super dense, and it just depends on what the, the dynamic of the song's doing at the time, like what the energy's doing, I guess. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now, the album you released your self-titled in 2013. When yeah. did you start working on this album? Um, pretty soon after. Like, actually, the bulk of it was written probably 2014-ish, I guess. But then we did some. Uh, we just kept doing some stuff, like you know, late leading up to this one, like um, overlays and and it just took its. I don't know. We we worked pretty slow, <laughs> but it just took its time, and we didn't really have any hurry to, to do it. And um, we just wanted to get it right. And it took a while to find someone to release it as well. To be honest, like on the way that we wanted to be to, for it to be released on vinyl. And um, yeah, so and. The, you know, the actual recording process was like um, 
quite prolonged as well. Like the initial um, recording, like you know, the the bulk of it was done in one day, basically. Like it was all done live. Um, like the the drums, bass, guitar, and, and I think a couple of layers of synth were all done live. And then we just did all these overlay, like crazy amount of overlays and vocals, like over quite a long period. Um, so yeah, and the the last song was kind of like put together, yeah, pretty pretty recently. So I guess it's kind of like a document of the last few years. Yeah. I noticed that there's like a, a bunch of labels that you're releasing on it through various locations in the world. Yeah. Is, is that like a, a pain to put that together, like a bunch of different oh, labels? It was. It's all thanks to Aaron from Sludge Lord. Um, he's he was just super into the to the record, and he knew that we wanted to do a, a, an album, like a physical vinyl release. And um, he was like, "Man, the only way I can get this done for you is if we to all go in on it with a bunch of other labels." And um, he just put the word out and got those guys on board pretty quickly. Um, so it's it's all his doing, man. So yeah, he's he's a maniac, really enthusiastic guy about it, and he was just he was like, I just sort of gonna make the world, the the ends of the earth, uh, or whatever the expression is, move mountains to get this thing out. <laughs> so yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. With this album, like you you started, you're saying like, all right, last album's done. Next album, we're starting to think about what's what's what what we're going to put on it, how it's going to sound. Yeah. Like, do you have a do you have like an aim? Like a, we want to do this, or do you, do you kind of just put it together? We kind of yeah. I think it's for me personally. I think it's important to have like something to aim for, but you have to be flexible enough to you know like if it feels like it's not going that way, just to go with it. You know, like it's. Um, like, we knew kind of we wanted to be a bit more fucked up than the last album, I think, like a bit more experimental, a bit more dense and abrasive, um, which I think it is, but it, it actually, like the, the end product's quite different than what we initially thought, to be honest. Um, but I think, yeah, it's kind of like, it's good to have something that, like a compass point, I guess, that guides you. But then, I don't know, you just got to cater for all the, the, the happy accidents and stuff that come along the way. Like, you don't want to sort of, like, put your blinders on. So, you know, like, I know, because for me, like, the, some of the coolest, you know, parts about playing band and putting out an album is, like, hearing all of the um, the surprises that come along. Like, you know, when other people come up with an idea and it totally changes it or something and it's just kind of like it's, you know, like, it's better than what you initially expected or it's totally different. And that's kind of the, the magic, I reckon. So, yeah, just we really tried to keep an open mind as to how it would turn out. And, um, you know, everyone contributed their own sort of sound to it. Like, um, so yeah, I, I you just kind of like lead it that way, but, but not too, too hard. Like, you know, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Now, how do you guys go about writing the album? Do you have a, a particular space that you guys like to write in? Do you, the particular members who write a, a primary writers, how, how does it work between you guys? Um, I think most of it's, um, like me and Tim will probably write the, like sort of write most of it, but sometimes like James will start playing a beat on the drums and then like, I think the, um, the start of Master of Cruelty, the third, third, third tune, um, that was basically just written from a drum beat, I think. And then, um, Brent actually wrote a song that we haven't actually released yet, um, so yeah, it's pretty democratic, but I think the key thing is like the like we can come up with the riffs, but um, everyone sort of writes their own parts, which in this band are really important because I literally have no idea what Tim's doing, and I literally have no idea what the bass is doing. So like it's it's almost like there's four people writing the songs, even if it's is based off you know riff, the guitar riffs. Um, so yeah, it's 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 good like having each member. Pen- pretty indispensable to the sound because it's kind of um you know if, you know if, yeah i think if, if, if it would have been a different lineup we'd probably have to just call the band something else because it wouldn't sound like the band i think in a way oh um that was pretty much it i was just yeah so it's, it's kind of like um yeah and, and the other thing was i was going to say actually was the arranging like so we might write riffs um 
and then but we you tend to arrange it as a band just through jamming it out and it's a really long long process like you know we might uh, you know like the arrangements are, are like absolutely essential to to, for, to the band i think it's not just like chucking a few riffs together like we'll just hammer something away until it feels like every change feels exactly right um so like the song has a really good flow um and also like there's the right amount of kind of structure and the right amount of freeform sort of parts as well i guess you'd say um so yeah it, it, is, it is quite a kind of a weird way of writing because we do try to allow a fair bit of i wouldn't say improv like it's not like a jam band but room for sort of so it still like feels like a performance every time you play the song rather than just running through the song um you personally like separate from coming together from a band let's say thinking all right we're gonna write some new material bring it to other guys see what we can come up with but like you isolated how do you go about writing me um oh man i don't know just kind of like actually i was just thinking about the other day i tend to write my best stuff when like if I go, oh, right, I'm going to sit down this afternoon and write. Um, you know, I might come up with some stuff, but I often come up with my best stuff of, say, if I'm, like, waiting for someone to come around. I just pick up the guitar and I've got, like, 10 minutes to to jam on it. Or if we're about, you know, head out and just waiting for someone to get ready or something, and then I pick up the guitar. It always just comes right at those sort of moments um, when you're kind of not expecting it to come. And I, I know it's weird. Like I kind of feel like it's, yeah, you just you open yourself up to being more creative because you're not um, that you don't have that expectation of right today I'm going to sit down and write an album or whatever. Um, it just sort of flows out a bit, bit, bit better. Um, so I try and uh, you know like yeah, like, yeah, I can do I, you do both, but like yeah, at the end of the day it's just kind of like sitting down, um, coming up with some riffs. And then I, if, if they're any good, I'll – like I don't really record them that much or anything. So if they're any good, if they're really good, I'll remember them. If they're not that good, I just, I'll probably just forget them. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of like my filter for, for what works and what doesn't, I guess. But, yeah. Mm, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be terrified if I was trying to remember riffs, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's like – it's, if something's really good, then I'll just I'll just keep thinking about it, and I'll be like, yeah, that's a really good one. I'll I'll um I'll hang on to that one, and then you know, like a lot a lot of the time, I probably have forgotten some really killer stuff, but I don't know. It's you know, it's you can always write more, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it kind of gets stuck in your head if it's a good one. Mm. Um, so you mix this album, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I did. It was um, it was a hell of a job, actually, to be honest, but um. I wasn't expecting to actually. We the last for the last record we had, um, I could make Dave Green mix it, um, but this time he, he's just his schedule is is nuts. With um, he does like um, like recording sound on film sets and stuff, and he was just he just didn't have any time. He was like, "Man, like why don't you ever go?" And I was like, "So I haven't really mixed a full like this is pretty much my first album I've fully mixed. I did an EP." For like a death metal band that me and Tim were playing in like a year or two ago, but this was just crazy because it was all recorded live. So um, you have like you just have this huge like twenty gig worth of wave files just all chucking all at once instead of building it up, and then like you have all these overlays and we just chucked everything but the kitchen sink and the overlays. So I had to listen to all the different takes and. Um, work out what worked and what doesn't. It was just a, it was it was crazy, but I think the end result I'm really happy with actually. Like, I mean, there's a few a few things that like I would I'd change, but like it's, at the same time you just have to get it out there at some point. So yeah. So this this song has four tracks. The previous the one had six tracks. This isn't like to say like oh why why are we getting less tracks? Obviously, there's much more to an album than how many tracks it has. There's, oh, there's right. quality yeah. and stuff obviously that but like I'm just, I'm just sort of inquiring about like why why did you say not four tracks that's definitely that's a right approach for this album um this album kind of had a 
I don't want to like say it's a, like it had a concept, but it had a, a sort of a narrative to it. And the each four each track is kind of like a, an important part in that. Um, plus, like it's like listening back to it, um, it's it's like I think if it was that much longer, if it had two more tracks, I think it, it might be a bit much. Like it because it's so it's so intense and so emotionally like. I know abrasive and all that kind of stuff. I feel like four tracks is about an, is it feels about right for it. Um, otherwise, you know, I think people might get fatigued, like listening to it. Um, yeah, so it just and also just those those tracks just I don't know they just like we have other songs, but it just felt like those ones really belong together in like a in a set, I guess, in a way. Um, yeah, and it you know it's. Yeah, it's just 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 seemed to just seemed to work. I don't know, but just one of those things. Um, but, but funnily enough, it was actually way harder to put together this one than the last one. Even the last one's got more songs, I think. As you mentioned, the album's a bit more sort of abrasive, and that's uh, that, that's definitely carried through with Tim's vocal styles. They. Yeah. Um, why, why, so it's sort of all encompassing at all areas, including you know vocals and music. What was so you could have gone definitely gone a different way. You could have said actually we want this album to be like more ambient, for example, than mm-hmm. the previous one. Why did you choose to go in this particular direction rather than any other any of the other possible different directions you would have taken? Um, I think we just thought that the coolest parts of the first album. Well, the bits that we like the most were just those particular bits. Um, and then, like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've heard the first album, but it's a bit more straight up. I just have, I have. Stoner Doomy kind of stuff, which, mm-hmm. which, like, you know, it was cool, but like, it was very derivative. Some of it was quite well. I wouldn't say very, but some of it was pretty derivative for us, and we just wanted to like really find a, a new thing. And this happened that you know, like, we're all like listening to a lot of shit like yeah that really kind of noisy alternative stuff like dinosaur jr and my bloody valentine stuff but we wanted to do that but in sort of like a metal like a a really extreme sort of context um yeah but i think um the the subject matter is pretty pretty intense as well i just wanted to we just wanted to create like the darkest like sort of most sort of yeah, something that really leaves a big impact on you when you when you listen to it, I guess, or after you finished it. Mm. Um, but it's a bit of a chore to get to, uh, get get through, I guess. But um, <laughs> I guess that's the game, though. But yeah, I I just thought like, you know, this territory hadn't been maybe sort of mined as much as other stuff that had been done. So it just seemed like a cool thing to do, and we're all into that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, I'm not really good at listening to lyrics, even on the best of times. But like, I always find the, the approaches that bands take, the concepts, the themes that they come up with, really, really fascinating, especially in this kind of music. Um, talk a little bit about the, the lyrics on the album. How do you work on them, and, and what sort of um, sort of territory do they tread? Yeah, so we often, like, I, term, I guess terms the primary lyricists often will collaborate and just do like what a certain room and um, you know bounce back ideas and stuff and a lot of it's like making sure the word choice is, is really spot on um, make you know like making sure it um, you know, just has a good I mean I, I know you probably won't be able to hear many of the lyrics but um, yeah just you know just hit just portrays the right vibe I guess the right dark sort of vibe subject matter is um, yeah, it's an interesting one. It's kind of like I don't want to give too much away because I think like the music is kind of well, we hope it's kind of visual. Mm. Um, and I know I, it'd be cool if people could sort of create their own sort of visuals and stories to it when when they listen to it. And um, but uh, you know we've, we've kind of said in the press release whatever that's kind of broadly around the idea of like uh, you know like blood sacrifice or sort of in a way like maybe a better way to put it I kind of this is my interpretation of it all is kind of like um 
almost like the quest for transcendence, but using whatever means possible, even if it means really fucked up sort of dark dark ways. Um, and it's kind of loosely based off some historical stuff, but um, yeah, I think it's better just if I you know leave it at that because. <laughs> Yeah, we don't. I kind of want to. I want people to kind of create their own stories to it and and visuals. I guess that's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I want to focus in on one track in particular, the last track of the album.
it's interesting because it's different and it's short, which is in contrast to the the last track of your self-titled album, which is the longest track on the album. Um, yeah. First off, why why did you choose a shorter track? to be the last track? It was kind of just, um, for a start, it, it does kind of tie in with the, the, the it's, it, I almost see it as like an extension to the song before it. Like, I guess the idea was that the whole, uh, the whole second side is sort of one continuous song, I guess. Um, and the last track, yeah, so it's it's it, it even uses like the same sort of drum part as the the last bit of the of of, of track three, um, but yeah, just just wanted to end it on a because like the track three kind of ends on quite a I guess like um, uh, almost like um, I don't know what the right word is, but kind of transcendental note, like almost quite um, euphoric in a way. And then we just wanted to bring it right back down to the to the to like sort of really dark kind of nightmarish sort of quality. Um, just just like with one repeating sort of fragment, that just you know, ball just goes over and over and over. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, essentially, it's just a, a it's a mood piece, I guess, in a way. It's just a, a it is kind of like it's almost like the the album, the bookend, the sort of the end of the album, um, and it wasn't like a grand statement or anything, but it just it was just a way to, to finish the album on the mood that we wanted to finish it on. If that makes any sense. Um, it's kind of a, a, a strange way to write that tune as well because we ended up using quite a few... Um, when we recorded the album, you know, we recorded all, like, you know, a whole bunch of... Um, like when we did it live in the show, we a whole bunch of sort of, out, you know, like noise jams and all this kind of stuff and we actually just used a lot of that stuff from like overlays and stuff that we hadn't used and just kind of created some loops out of those and and almost like created that song from the ground up in a way um but yeah i actually i'm actually really proud of that song i think it came out really well like it's 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 a little bit something does something pretty different than what we've done before and it's yeah it's almost like bringing that kind of ambient like hauntological sort of like aspect to it. Yeah, it kind of has uh, a pro- probably the most drony of any yeah. other tracks you've released. Yeah, 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 it is, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that the track was sort of written, made later than all the rest of the tracks, that it was sort of composed primarily of uh, pieces that you hadn't used elsewhere. Where yeah. where'd the idea come from that? Where were you like, actually, we can sort of make this track um, so it's in a in a in a very different way than you've made the other tracks, and yeah, where did the uh, idea for that particular track come from? I don't know, actually. Like, um, like at the time, actually, I was really into. Um, I was listening to quite a lot of electronica, and I mean, like, quite dark stuff, like, um, like uh, Hex and. I don't know how to even pronounce it, but Hex and Cloak and like even even like um, like Massive Attack and shit like that. And I I just really like the way they used like loops and stuff in a way, um, and kind of made like a a, a really trippy sound world. Then um, I thought it'd just be you know. Like we 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 knew we wanted to end the album on a really dark note and a really sort of punishing note like that, but just to like use some of those tricks that some of those sort of acts use, I guess. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that helps, but I, I think that's where my you know we're kind of at. But yeah, it, it was really fun to do. Like I'd be keen to do more of that stuff, to be honest. <laughs> mm, no, it's a really interesting track. Um, talking a little bit more broadly about the album, where does the title come from? Uh, that was Tim's suggestion. We took ages coming up with the title. Um, I think, uh, you know, like it just would have come from the the themes that you know the the sort of it's kind of like this. I think I mentioned before this like 
searching for transcendence and to, and like breaking through the threshold of like you know our physical reality I guess in a way um, using whatever means whatever crazy means that people have used in the past which you know like um, you know like I guess it brings to mind stuff like the occult and all that kind of stuff but um, yeah I, I think it just and it, you know, the, it seemed to sort of fit well with the cover as well it's kind of like there's some quite sort of interesting implications there what what is the what is the cover if you can uh, I know with with whatever detail you're comfortable sharing about that cover. It's a funny one actually. Like I was, that's actually excuse me. Um, it's actually a photo that I took when I was in Peru, um, and uh, it was at I think it was like a a cemetery, and they just had this amazing sort of set up on like that on display and it just looked like I just thought like that's such that's that's gotta be it because it just seemed to hit on all the themes and like um it just looked pretty miserable look you know like I don't know just seeing it kind of it kind of to me it just seemed to raise all these questions like you know like what is it what it what is it for what does it mean like and I know, it kind of had this mysterious quality where you kind of want to know more about it and I think that's kind of what draws me to a lot of stuff to be honest but yeah particularly that cover yeah i want to finish this off with a couple of personal questions about you yeah when did you start listening to heavy music um probably when i was about 13 i reckon um it was i was listening to like mostly grunge before that i guess like just nirvana and all that kind of stuff um and and it was a kind of a quick jump because, like, there was this there was this extreme metal radio show in Auckland at the time called Nocturnal Dominion, and it was on like at like midnight on Saturday night. And me and some mates were just like sneaking a few beers and just like listening to the student radio, student radio station which had the show on it. And um, suddenly it just came on. And we were like, "What the fuck is this music?" Like, it was just you know, like all this crazy death metal and black metal and stuff. And um, yeah, and it was just like, it was kind of, I just like, you know, that sort of moment where you just have no idea what sort of music, it, like, you never knew existed. And um, I guess we're just at the age where, you know, you just you just want to, like, see what else is out there. And, you know, we just ended up going to a CD store, and there, there used to be this huge bargain bin with all of these, um, like, sort of $2 CDs, and we just find the ones with the most crazy covers. Um, and I've still got some of them, actually. Some really good ones. Um, uh, I think I got Carcass's first album there actually for like two bucks on CD, and um, yeah, we just like picked them up and then we just started getting into it. And then we started getting into like you know, Morbid Angel and Entombed and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, it just went from there, I guess. What was it that initially attracted you to death metal? As I said, it was just like the the the, the actual like just the sheer. Um, I know, it was so different than it, like it, it just the fact that it wasn't any unlike it was unlike any other music that was around like just that music had gotten that extreme and um yeah like I think I yeah, we were in horror movies and all that kind of stuff so the covers kind of like really appealed as well um yeah like you know all the sort of like um back in the 90s they'd have like really cool I mean, they still do, but like some of those early '90s kind of like Dan Seagrave album artwork, you know, had this, you know, to a 13 year old kid, it's pretty, it's pretty enticing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, when did you start playing guitar, and why did you stick with it? Um, I actually started playing drums first, and then, um, I moved on. Yeah, just picked up guitar, and I know it's just awesome, man. It's just. One of the, I just don't think I probably could survive without playing music, you know, just like probably, you know, get pretty depressed. Um, but yeah, it's just cool to be able to pick something up and, and write songs. I think like, you know, I, I, love, I love like listening to ambient music and all that kind of stuff, but um, I think it's like, like write songs is kind of like, yeah, just being able to pick up something and write a song is just amazing. Yeah, it just kind of takes seems to elevate your existence a little bit. <laughs> you know, you know, give you something else to do with your life, I guess. Yeah. 
So you mentioned that you play guitar and drums. Um, yeah. Do you do you have a preference for either? Um, oh man, I think like actually, when it actually comes to playing something physically, I think that you can't really beat the drums. It just feels so good to play. Yeah, I love the drums, but um, but as far as like um, you know, like writing goes, then obviously you know you probably can write a song just on drums but yeah <laughs> so, um yeah as far as writing goes i, I kind of mostly see guitar as like a, a compositional a means to an end compositionally i guess yeah but you know like I, I still love playing guitar like especially you know when it's cranked up really loud and you've got a really sweet um sound to play through and yeah that's great mm, and last question I, I know it can be a difficult one for some people but um, do you have any favorite bands or albums? Like just at the moment, or in, or yeah, or whichever, overall? whichever. Oh man, like I'm pretty embarrassed to tell you some of my favorites, but um, yeah, like um, at the moment I'm listening to um, like to be honest, I'm not really listening to that much metal. I'm mostly listening to like either podcasts or uh, film soundtracks, to be honest. But like. Um. Yeah, I, I really, I really like um some of the, I guess, electronica sort of stuff coming out. Like, um, it's a really cool. Um, like, have you heard of that band Low? Uh, L O H L O apostrophe exclamation mark. No, L O W. Oh, no. They're kind of like a, I guess, an indie band, but their latest album's killer. It's really kind of distorted, like it's it's almost totally electronic, but it's really um, bleak and miserable. And, um, just sounds like they put the whole thing through. Um, I don't know, just some really like sort of crazy effects and everything. That's no, like I, I won't describe it. But it's great. Um, I kind of just discovered like lots of the. 4AD sort of kind of stuff this year, like Cocteau Twins and um, all that early sort of goth stuff, um, like Dead Can Dance. I've been into Dead Can Dance for a while, but, um, but yeah, sort of my all-time favorites, you know, like Morbid Angel, um, you know, the first few releases by them. Um, I've got some special places in my heart for um, – like pretty much my first favorite band before I even got into Extreme Metal, which was probably Faith No More. So I really love Angel Dust. Um, it's a great record. Um, yeah, anything like in terms of death metal, like Incantation, Immolation. Um, I really like a good movie soundtrack. You know, like, like there's lots of cool stuff coming out these days. Like, um, um, just trying to think. Like, um, oh, it's just yeah, like like all of that, like the Blade Runner soundtrack, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, no, just, yeah, a lot. I can't, it's a hard question, yeah, it's hard to be put on the spot. But <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just go through these weird phases where I'll just get obsessed with one particular thing and then, yeah, just keep keep adding on from there, I guess, yeah. Mm, and, and doubly last question. <laughs> yeah, go for me. Um, what kind of podcast are you listening to? Oh, um, lots of music ones. Like, um, there's this one called uh, Great Albums, which I, I quite like at the moment. And, like, these two guys, they, they, they'll get a guest on and they'll just talk for, like, two hours over, like, all the great sort of albums of music history. And, like, it's not, like, metal and stuff. I think the heaviest album they've done is probably Rain and Blood or something. But it's just cool hearing, like, people talk in depth about classic albums, you know, like, I know Led Zeppelin and, um, Beatles or something like that. Um, like film podcasts are really cool. Um, uh, for, like the Mark Commode ones is always good times. Um, uh, there's quite there's a couple of kind of cool like almost occulty ones I listen to. Um, like there's one called Rune Soup, which is definitely worth a listen. Um, it's actually made by a guy in, who lives in Tasmania. Um, but it's it's more than just sort of magic and occult stuff. It's more like um, cultural society. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely on to a guy. Um, environment and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
Yeah, this I know heaps of stuff, man. Like, yeah, I just yeah probably listened to about sixty percent podcasts, about forty percent music. To be honest. <laughs>
That was The Horrendous Abyss by Shallow Grove from the album The Threshold Between Worlds. And during the middle of the interview, we heard the title track, The Threshold Between Worlds. Thanks a lot for Michael for talking to me. It's interesting. He was actually located in Melbourne at the moment. So, you know, always makes uh, organising interviews a little bit easier when there's no need to make sure we're in the t- same time zone. So, yeah, really, really great chat with him. I really enjoyed it. Um, one of those kind of bands which... I think there's a lot to sort of draw upon because they're evolving. Um, similar with Sumeru, as I talked about earlier, the, the fact that they they're reaching out for something beyond what they're doing at the moment. I think most bands are trying to do that, but not necessarily on such a conscious level. And when it's at the conscious level, you can have the sort of best conversations about it. Before I go, I want to recommend an album, Drowned by Barus. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. It's got a very weird little apostrophe over the U. No idea how that's pronounced. It's a French band. I'm not sure it's a French name. Very unclear, but completely irrelevant. They play a form of progressive death metal. I was sort of having a bit of trouble describing the album in a way that kind of would be meaningful on a podcast. But one thing I think really defines it it's got really great dynamics between the sort of extremity of the death metal section and then the prog, even perhaps ambient section. They're so relaxed and you know minimal in a lot of ways. Uh, that that was a really great aspect for me because I think a lot of death metal bands, obviously they're a hundred percent all the time. Some prog, some prog death metal bands can also struggle a bit to sort of tone it down and find that 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 difference that chasm between the two and and really um have them play off against each other and another thing was i was really impressed by was the range of vocal styles not just in terms of the extreme vocal styles but the the cleaner vocal styles it's really good i think especially for a prog release to have that kind of variety through an album really adds the spice of the whole thing very overall a really very impressive for a debut album i was actually quite shocked by the fact that it was a debut um because it's just such a solo release but um drowned by barrels i really encourage you to check it out um i'm going to be releasing another two episodes this week catching up a little bit on um the stuff i've sort of fallen behind on i'm going to be releasing an interview bloodbath during the middle week and sylvain one that's i was really looking forward to and i'm glad that season and mist gave me the opportunity to talk to her i'll be releasing sylvain later in the week so a really big week a lot to be excited about and i thank you for listening and hope you listen throughout the week see ya